So this morning, we are uh, taking a break, as I mentioned last week, from Hebrews for one Sunday, because this is what has been designated as Sanctity of Life Sunday. And what that means is, uh, is that many churches, I don't want to say most, but many and probably, and maybe most, especially in evangelical circles, have committed this Sunday to preach and teach and sing about uh, the gift of life, specifically the life of children, um, and the sanctity of life, that there is, something, uh, there, is, there is something about life that makes it sacred. <clears throat> now, if you all remember, a few years ago, I think it was two years ago, I preached a fairly pointed message on the sanctity of life, um, and it was particularly mostly about uh, the life of unborn children. And honestly, that's what the majority of pastors are going to be, pre- be preaching about, uh, and I applaud them for that. Uh, that is a subject that needs to be preached more than once a year. Uh, I, I am fearful that in our society we have lost our reverence for life in general. We cast it aside so easily. Uh, case in point, I watched a movie last night after Crystal had gone to bed and the boys had gone to me- bed. I watched a, uh, a movie and I, I stayed up because I couldn't quite sleep yet. And I was actually trying to keep our new dog from howling all night long again so that Crystal could get some sleep. And because uh, she's been the major warrior as far as taking the dog out at the midnight to have him use the bathroom. And so I, I had him just sleep on the couch with me last night. I was not in the doghouse, I promise. Everything's fine. So I was watching a movie last night, and it was an action movie. I'm not going to tell you which one it was, but one of the things that was, that was that, and it was, it's a fun movie, it was a funny movie, but one of the things that came to mind so quickly is that there is, that in all these movies and these action movies that we love to watch, there's absolutely no reverence for life in these movies. I mean, it's like John McClane is just going through these buildings, just clearing out people like crazy. It wasn't Die Hard. That is a Christmas movie. But you get the idea, right? I mean, it's crazy. There's absolutely, it's, it's just like somebody gets shot, somebody gets blown up, somebody gets ran over by a tank, and we try to do it in the most gory, glamorous way possible so the audience will cheer. Now, I have to be honest with you. When that German dude fell off the building in Die Hard, I cheered. To this day, I still cheer. Christmas has not come yet until the dude falls off the building, right? And so I'm one to blame as well, all right? But it does cause me to pause and think at how little reference, how, how, how just normal that is, right? What do guys want to go see? They want to go see the action movie where there's explosions, Rarely are there explosions where there is not loss of life. Now, I'm not telling you to boycott action movies. That's not what I'm doing. I realize they're not real. I'm not telling you to boycott video games where, like, first person shoot them up. I'm not telling you to do that. I have them. I play them. I enjoy them. I don't play them very often, but I do play them every now and then, okay? Here's my point in this, is that in our culture today, and when I say our culture, I don't mean just the United States. I mean across the world. We've lost this reverence for life. And so that's what I want to talk to you about this morning, the importance of the sanctity of life. And I'm not just talking about unborn children today. I'm talking about what it means 
to have human dignity based on the fact that we were made in the image of God. So you might notice, and I know the parents do, that the kiddos are in here this morning. I'm doing that in part uh, because we're going to have a shorter sermon this morning, and so I didn't want somebody to plan this big lesson and go in the back and teach it, but also because I wanted the kids to also hear this message, that this is important for us to hear. The message this morning is based actually out of Genesis. It's Genesis chapter 1, and uh, I'm going to begin reading in chapter 1, verse 26. Now, you all know Genesis. You know the beginning of Genesis. Even the kiddos in here know the beginning of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And God said, let there be light. Do the kids know that? Let there be light, right? Yeah, that's what happened, right? Okay, but on the sixth day, what happens? God creates man. Now, he creates all these creatures to roam the earth, right? But specifically, that final thing that he creates is man and woman. And I want us to read that. Now, you all have heard this passage before, but I want to spin this in a little bit of a different way. Because I fear that as evangelicals, and mostly as conservative evangelicals, we tend to cherry-pick what we believe to be sacred and what we don't. Meaning that as evangelicals, we obviously or hopefully we believe that life of the unborn child is a sacred thing. And it absolutely is. That we believe these children are sacred. But I am afraid that sometimes because of how we have been raised in this culture, all right, how we've been brought about, that that stops, that reverence for life stops at childhood, meaning that it's okay to not have as much reverence for life and for individual dignity of humanity once these children, sweet and cuddly as they are, my sister's shaking her head no on that, that once they become teenagers, we'll all of a sudden be like, I'm okay if they you know, like just skedaddle. I'm okay with that, right? And especially when they become young adults, right? Like, get them out of the house, right? And all of a sudden, we start having these disparaging thoughts about the other individual, right? That's what I want to talk about this morning. But we're going to start from Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant On the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed, this will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good indeed. Evening came and then morning, the sixth day. Let's pray. 
Father, I'm thankful for this passage that we've read on a regular basis in our congregation and across congregations in, in our community, state, country, and across the planet. This passage is well known. And I have to believe that it's well understood. But I'm sorry to admit that it's often not applied, even in my own life. And so, Father, I pray that in this brief message this morning, that we would understand what it means to be made in the image of God, and that we would live that out in our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then in verse 27, So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Now, <clears throat> I've actually taught this before, I believe, in this congregation. And we talked about what does it mean when God said, let us make him, uh, like make man in our image. We're not going to go into that this morning. It's too long of a, me- to, and we don't have time for that this morning with regards to what I have in store for us. What I really want to talk about this morning briefly is I want to talk about, number one, what does it mean that we are made in the image of God? That's the first thing. What does it mean that we're made in the image of God? And number two, what does that mean for us now, post-fall, that we have human dignity because we are made in the image of God? So when we think of being made in the image of God, what, would the, what, what we first have to think about is what would the original audience, how would they have read that? How would Moses's compatriots, his compadres, his congregation, how would they have understood that phrase, that we are made in the image of God? Now, to us, when we think of that, we think of it sort of as a carbon copy. We think of it as, well, you know, in our our culture and in our language, if we didn't understand the text, we might think that, well, then God, that God must be a person. He must have a physical body. He must, if, if we saw him walking on the street, we might not recognize him because he just looks like another person. That must mean what being made in the image of God means. Well, I'm sure you understand based upon that analogy or that, that, that um, uh, illustration that that's not what it means, uh, but that is a common error. In fact, I was at a conference um, that uh, several years ago now, about a decade ago, I was at a conference in Louisville that spoke about uh, racism. We were talking about racism, we were talking about prejudice, and, and all sorts of things. And we, we went around the table and we talked about, you know, what, what are the issues with racism? Why is it so e- evil? Why is it so prevalent in our society and that sort of thing? And, and one of the things that I said in there is and this is a this is a very diverse group that was in this uh, that was in the audience there, and I spoke up as we read around the circle, and I said, well, here is one of the reasons why I think that racism and any type of uh, prejudice in that vein is so evil, and it's because it disparages it disparages the idea that we were made in the image of God. That we were made in the image of God. When we, are, when we have prejudicial thoughts, when we have antagonistic thoughts towards any other individual, we are in some ways denying by application 
that that other individual was also made in the image of God. That somehow that that person is less than made in the image of God. And I said that, and I could tell right away that the congregation that I was in was not a Baptist congregation, that they had never heard that phrase. Likely they had never heard that verse. And there was one woman at the other end of the spectrum that was very irate about this. And in fact, she was a Muslim woman. Uh, Now, she was very kind in the breaks and stuff. We talked. She was very kind. But when she heard me say that, she was absolutely irate. I thought she was going to tackle me. All right? And she said, what do you mean that we are made in the image of God? And then she went on to describe how Jesus and his appearance must be this particular way. And everything was revolving about the way we looked and rather than who we are. And so we started talking about Jesus' complexion and the way Jesus would have appeared to us if he was walking the street. And immediately I understood that most of our culture does not understand what it means for us to be made in the image of God. Now, why am I talking about this on a Sunday dedicated to the sanctity of life? And here's why. I find it sad and even possibly hypocritical that we can say that we believe in the sanctity of life, that we love those unborn children and those children right out of the womb, and that we will fight tooth and nail for their survival. Yet we hold with such little reverence individuals who we may not agree with, who are different from us. And we deny them the human dignity that they deserve because they were created in the image of God. So let me argue this for a moment. Now, when we get done with this, you may not agree with me. You may not agree with me. And I would love to have conversations with you afterwards about this very thing. Because this is a very important concept for us to understand if we're going to walk this Christian life and truly love our neighbor and love our enemy. Because that's what Jesus said, right? Jesus said, love our enemy. But if you believe your enemy is less than you, has less dignity to you, has less worth than you, then you cannot truly love your enemy or your neighbor as Jesus has called us to. So let me walk through this real quick. What does it mean that we were made in the image of God and how does it apply today? First of all, When the hearers, the original audience, heard this message, they would have said this, that Moses means, by writing this, that we are made in the likeness of God, that we are like God, not that we are God, and not that we bear His physical attributes, because God is spirit, not physical body, but that we bear His likeness in His attributes, in His characteristics. Or another way of saying this is that we are similar to God with regards to how He created us. Now, don't get, a high, don't get on your high horse, all right? Don't go around on your pony saying, I'm just like God. Yeah, there we go. That's not what we're saying. That's not what the original audience would have heard. What they would have said is similar to this, is that we are like God in so much as, like my sons, are like their father. They don't look exactly like me, although it's been argued. Sorry, Lucas. 
it's pretty close, man. Uh, that's what I've been told, okay? But here's the thing, all right? What we're talking about is our characteristics, all right? We're, there's similarities there. We are made in the image of God in that we have characteristics like God. God is a creating God. He creates, right? Now, we don't create from nothing, but we're creative beings. God is an emotional God, right? God loves, and God gets angry, and God has sorrow, right? It even says that God regrets at times, right? Not that he made a mistake, but the Bible says that he regrets at times. We, too, are emotional beings, sometimes too emotional, sometimes too angry, right? And so we're like that in that God is spirit. We are also spiritual beings in that we have a soul. We have a spirit within us, right, that we have been blessed with. So we are in his likeness in that, but at the same time, we are not God. Moses did not write, so God created man to be identical to himself. What does it say? He made him in his image, all right? Made us in his image. So there are differences, and one of the main differences is this. We are not God. Job would attest to this. We are not God. We are separate from God. We are similar. We are in his likeness. We bear some of his attributes, but we are not God. But the other thing that we can read from this is that man is higher than the animals, right? I mean, man was the pinnacle of everything that God created. God created us only in his image. Only us, not the animals, not the livestock, not the fishes, not the birds. Only us did he create in his image. And so God, when we were created, he then put us in this place, in this perfect sanctuary, in order to subdue it, in order to steward it, in order to take care of it, in order to rule it. And so in a sense, we are his viceroys. What does that mean? What is a viceroy? It means that... (laughs) What I mean is that we are his representatives, so we'll go a different route with that. Okay? Um, (laughs) Okay. That's going to be interesting on the podcast today. Anyway, so we are his representatives, if you will, on earth. We are taking care of what he has created in his place. So we are above the animals. But we are still like God. Now, what do I want you to notice? Is that before the fall, we were made in the image of God, and that image was not distorted. There was no distortion of that. Also recognize this. God did not create different classes. He did not create different classes. He did not say, here are these men over here, and here are these women over here. They're made in a little bit of a different image. And here are these people over here planted in this area of the land, and they look a little bit different, behave a little bit different. They have some different cultural attributes that make them a little different as far as the image of God. And here are these folks over here, and they're, you know, they, they, they like weird things. They're, they're, just, they're just strange people. They're in the image of God, but it's a different class of the image of God. God does not do that. What does he do? God made man and woman in his image. There is no distinction across the board before the fall. There's none. There's not one distinction. God does not distinguish 
between any of his created human beings. Now, he does distinguish in roles. There's a difference in roles between man and woman. We know that. But that has nothing to do with value. That has nothing to do with dignity. That has nothing to do with worth. God created us in a way, in his likeness, that creates us all with equal dignity, equal value, and equal worth. Folks, that's before the fall. What happens after the fall? Immediately, people are starting to be placed in their own categories now. And folks, it wasn't by God. That was us. We did that. We did that. We started designating designating who had value and who did not. Who had dignity and who did not. Who had worth and who did not. Sometimes blatantly and sometimes subconsciously. That that person just isn't worth as much as I am. They're not as valuable to society as I am. They don't have as much dignity as I do. We did that. And what's interesting is that before the fall, before the fall, God created man in his image. After the fall, we want everybody else to behave and act like they were created in our image. And you know that that's true. We want everybody, we would love for everybody to think exactly like we do. We want everybody to behave exactly like we do. Like we have a monopoly on morality. That we have a monopoly on dignity. Like we have a monopoly on value. That's what we see throughout Scripture. Is constantly man creating their own images to model after themselves. You can even see this in our nativity scenes. Can't you? What do you see with nativity scenes? You see nativity scenes that are of all different types of cultures. All different types of cultures. You see that one kind of generic nativity scene as you're driving down the road and it's plastic and it's lit up. And folks, Mary and Joseph in that nativity scene straight up come from Switzerland. All right? I mean, that's just where they're from. They're eating cheese and chocolate in that nativity. Right, And then you'll see another nativity where you have an individual who is obviously African-American over here. And you'll see another one that's a different shade, if you will, right? And you see all these nativities. Now, I'm not knocking nativities. Don't go out and throw your nativity scenes away. That's not what I mean. What I mean is, even in our nativity scenes, we're making an effort in some way to make these individuals appear in our image, Folks, we don't know what they look like. And let me ask you, does it matter? Does it matter one bit what the Savior of the world looked like? Does it not just matter that He gave His life for your life? Isn't that the most important thing? Isn't that the only thing? You know, it's funny. I guarantee you, if you're on death row and somebody comes forward and says, I'm going to give my life for yours so that you don't have to die. We're not going to question that or turn them down just because they're different than us. We're going to just accept the gift. Thank you 
for sacrificing in such a way. It is difficult for me. It's difficult for me to listen to somebody cheer on and prod on this pro-life political movement, if you will, cheering for the unborn with, when out of the same, in the same breath, they are criticizing and hating on individuals who think differently than them. Now, let me mention this to you real quick. Sin. Once sin comes into the picture, do we all of a sudden lose the fact that we are made in the image of God? Absolutely not. We are still made in God's image. But that image is now distorted. Why is it distorted? Because we now have sin. And God has no sin. So while we are still made in the likeness of God, there is now sin that's distorting. It's kind of like going to a fun house with mirrors. All of a sudden the image is distorted. It's wavy and it's broad and it's narrow. And so, You like that. I didn't say fat and skinny, right? But you get the idea, right? It's different now. It's distorted. It doesn't look quite right. Because our sin has distorted what it means to be made in the image of God. Just because someone thinks differently, appears differently, votes differently, even believes differently, does not reduce the fact, eliminate the fact one bit that they are still image bearers. You take Billy Graham, the evangelist of evangelists, right? And put him right next door to Richard Dawkins, the king of atheists, of modern atheists today. You put them side by side and both of them have equal amount of dignity, equal amount of worth, equal amount of value, and are equal regarding being born and created in the image of God. Now, when we think of things like this, and we think of, when we think of life in this, in this way, we cannot be approaching one another in a way that reduces that dignity, that undignifies. Is that the word, undignifies? I think that's right. We'll make it up. We're making it up if it's not real. Okay? Seriously, we're not re- we cannot treat them in that fashion. You cannot love your enemies if we, are, if we somehow believe that they're beneath us. Because now we're not loving them as, with equal value. We're saying, you poor pitiful fool. You poor pitiful fool that has less value than me. You're just not worth as much as me. Now, does that mean that we can't get aggravated and angry and upset and we can't believe different and have these these, uh, criticisms and consequences or these criticisms and these complaints against one another? Absolutely not. We should. We should be in these dialogues. It's it's natural. It's, It's human nature for us to be angry and those sorts of things. Does God get angry at us? Absolutely he does. And we bear his image. But we can't hate we can't despise 
Because as soon as you do that, we stop the conversation. Now, why am I talking about this right now on Sanctity of Life Sunday? Why am I talking about this? Because we can talk about being pro-life all we want, but folks, let me be very clear. Pro-life stuff is not what is wrecking the country at this very moment. That's not what's causing all these massive riots and all this hatred and all this despicable behavior on every front. That's not what's causing it. What's causing it is this mentality of us versus them. And as Christians, we have got to push back on that as hard as we possibly can. You know, you can disagree with somebody. You can critique somebody. You can even not like somebody. And still treat them with love and respect. You can do that. You can do that. And we should do that. And we are called to do that. And this is the pivotal point. We are raising these children right here. And here's what's going to happen. These kids are going to be the individuals that are going to be taking the message that you all and that I am preaching in our homes And they are going to be the individuals that are going to either be able to heal the divide, this division, or they're going to be the ones that are going to further wreck it. And by the way, it doesn't get healed with political platitudes. It doesn't get healed with a bunch of sort of political, governmental, societal, cultural nonsense. How does it get healed? Through the gospel. Through the preaching and the teaching of gospel. If we send these children out into the world unprepared with the gospel of Jesus Christ, what is going to happen? Our culture is going to continue to fold. So we can actually we can continue to send them out into the culture with hatred and bitterness and all those things built up inside them by the way we talk when they're around or talk when we don't think they're around. Or we can teach them that that we can disagree and still love one another. We can disagree and still serve one another. And then when they go, eventually, out of our house, then they can carry the gospel to the nation. Folks, I've shared the gospel with so many different individuals, I've lost count. And I dare say that the majority of individuals that I've shared the gospel with do not think the same way I do. They don't believe the same way I do. They don't vote the same way I do. And that's okay. Because Jesus did not tell us to go to the end of the earth and go share the gospel with a bunch of Republicans. Or a bunch of Democrats. Or a bunch of independents. Or a bunch of socialists. He didn't even talk about the Green Party. We're not going to go there, okay? But you get the idea, okay? That's not what he did. He said, go share the gospel to the ends of the earth. He didn't say, go share the gospel with all the white people. He didn't say, go share the gospel, and but don't get in that group with the black people or the Hispanic people or the Asian people. He said, go preach the gospel. If we are going to be people of the word of God and people who are rightly, uh, who rightly cherish the sanctity of life, and we should be, 
then we cannot simply be cheering on and trying to save or trying to protect the sanctity of just unborn children. Folks, give your lives for that cause. But be prepared to protect the sanctity of all life and all dignity. What is interesting is that in chapter 9 of Genesis, after the fall, God still puts a massive punishment on the taking of human life. Even after the fall, there's a massive punishment, death, for taking other human life. Why does he say that? He says because we are still made in the image of God, even after the fall, because we are created in his likeness. Christ came and he gave his life for sinners, all sinners, every last one of us. And it is our job to go share that gospel, that truth, with absolutely everyone. We don't ask them, who do we vote for? Or who do you serve? Or what kind of country club are you a part of? And all that stuff before we share the gospel with them. We just share the gospel. Now some of you in your minds might be thinking, there went our, there went our pastor. Off the deep end. Now he's a liberal. Folks, if you think what I just preached is liberal, then you are missing the point of the gospel in the fact that it is for everyone. That's not liberal. That's just biblical. It's just biblical. Let's not miss that. We are so comfortable in our own echo chambers. Do you know what an echo chamber is, Logan? Do you know what an echo chamber is? Yeah, that's exactly right. It's when you go in and you say something, you hear your own voice, right? Right. Well, we live in our own echo chamber sometimes. We like them. There you go, in the basement, right? Everybody else have some, like one of those echo chambers in their house where you say something, you can hear it back, right, in the basement? No, well, you'll get one one day. Okay, but here's the thing, okay? Here's the thing. We like that sometimes because we say what we believe and we just hear it right back at us. It's kind of like yes men, right? We've got to avoid surrounding ourselves with yes men. We've got to avoid ourselves, avoid uh, having ourselves live constantly in these echo chambers where all we hear are individuals agreeing with us. Because I hate to say it, we're not always right. We're not. So as we leave here this morning, this is an unusual sermon, I give you that. I give you that. But I think that it's needed. Because here's the thing. You go outside of this building, and you go down to the Capitol, you go downtown, and this is not what you're going to hear. You're going to hear us versus them. Those stinking Democrats, those stinking Republicans, those stinking Libertarians, right? Those stinking University of Louisville fans, right? Okay? I know, Christy's here. Okay, but you get the idea. That's the way we talk, right? That's what you hear... We cannot be like that. If we are going to be like Christ, we have got to believe that every individual has human dignity. Every single one. So fight for the unborn. Absolutely, I am. I will fight for the unborn. But I will also fight for the individual who's marginalized. 
I will also fight for the individual who is broken down and beaten down and has been told that society has left them behind. And that's the individual that I want to go to to make sure that they know who Christ is and that they have life and life abundantly. May may we be a people that do that. Are we going to be able to solve all the world's ills? Maybe not. But we can't hurt if we are following Christ.